Genesis, continuing in our series as we move through this book. Um, this morning, I'm going to begin by reading the text, which you'll notice in your worship guide is a few uh, different passages so through uh, three different chapters. And so, uh, certainly follow along in either your Bible um, or, or your worship guide as I read. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And down to chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as, you have, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took her calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And as he stood by them under the tree, and, and, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. Uh, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At, that, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. And, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. In chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. 
And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God, has, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that speaks to us from another world. And in this story, in a context so far removed from us, um, a different time, a different place, we really need the help and the presence of your spirit to take this word and apply it to our lives so we understand it and we see its relevancy for, for us here today in the time and the place you have set us. So we, would you take your word and uh, through the uh, working of the Spirit in each one of our lives, would you accomplish your purposes for it, bringing change and transformation, helping us to see things different, helping us to grow in faith, to grow in patience. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're waiting. Uh, can be uh, incredibly uh, difficult, and we generally are not a people that wait well. In fact, we are a people that uh, by nature are impatient, and we live in a world that uh, constantly feeds that impatience. We are continually trained uh, in impatience. Uh, For instance, the whole credit card industry is based on the premise of why wait? You know, our parents and our grandparents' generations might have purchased on layaway, where they would uh, make small incremental payments over a period of time until the item was completely paid for, at which time it became theirs and they took it home. But today we're told, hey, you don't need to wait, you can have it now, buy now, pay later. Is it any wonder that consumer debt in the U.S. has now reached an astronomical $15.3 trillion? And think about the oversized reach of the juggernaut Amazon. Its explosive growth has been built in large part around its ability to not make us wait, right? You know, with Prime, you can get it in just two days. And if two-day delivery is too long, how about one day? And when it's still fast enough, in some markets, you can have it same-day delivery. I think technology has had a big part to play uh, in how we've kind of been trained to to not wait. I mean, because I can, wherever I am, whatever point in the day it seems, immediately be exposed just by plugging in and tapping on a screen, I can be exposed to whatever my heart desires. At any time, I can, I can be exposed to pornography, to sex that's just so extraordinarily available in a way that previous generations would have found bewildering, if not horrifying. The idea that, that sexual gratification is available, it seems, just at a click. When actually the whole idea was kind of, well, it belonged to a process that would take months, years of, you know, self-discipline, self-denial, courtship, building a relationship, building trust. We've kind of turned so many things on their head through our technology and other things as well, I suppose, to the point where being gratified to some extent seems immediate because everything seems so available now. And I think that that means that 
that we're kind of being trained to find waiting more and more difficult. Well, when we read the story of Abraham and and Sarah, we discover a couple who were called to wait. That's their story throughout. As we've been watching them in recent weeks, as we've been reading about them as a church, that God has interrupted their lives with himself, has drawn them into a journey with him, but it's often been a journey of waiting. And for those of you who are, are new or maybe a bit behind in the story, let me give you a bit of summary of, of where we've been. We've been introduced to this guy whose name is Abraham. Well, Abram, but, but his name is eventually changed to Abraham. And Abraham is married to his half-sister, Sarah. And God has, has promised Abraham land, descendants, and blessing. And he's promised him these things unconditionally, unilaterally. Unilaterally, he has said that that you are going to live in this land that I give to you and to your descendants, and you're going to ha- and your descendants, you're going to have them. They're going to be so numerous that they're going to outnumber the stars of the sky or the dust of the earth, and you're going to have and you're going to be a blessing. And I promise this to you, no matter what you do or what your descendants do. But after God had promised this to him, what that what then followed was years of silence. And central to God's promise was this promise of descendants, this promise that required a son. And Abraham and Sarah had been waiting for years for their baby to come. And it must have been very frustrating. If you've ever been waiting for God's promises to come true in your own life, you will understand something of how, how they, they must have felt. And so finally, after a decade or so, Abraham and Sarah decide to take matters into their own hand. And this is what Mike covered last week. And so Sarah gives her servant girl Hagar to Abraham so that they can, could have a descendant that way. Because Abraham and, and Sarah were childless. Sarah was barren, unable to have kids. And Abraham and Hagar then had a child. And so this is their way of taking matters into their own hands. And this is where Genesis 16 ends. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old, then Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Abram. And then the very next verse we read begins, chapter 17, verse 1, now when Abram was 99 years old. So we have just left 13 years in one verse. We've just gone from being 86 to him being 99 years old. I mean, a quarter of his life has passed since God made his covenant promise to him. It's been 24 years since God promised land, descendants, and blessing. And he hasn't heard from God. Nothing but crickets in that 24 years. And I can imagine, for Sarah especially, the years of delay had surely begun to to make her bitter and cynical. Solomon writes in Proverbs 13 that that, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And Sarah's heart was surely sick for waiting, I imagine. Every month when her period came, you know, her heart just slid even deeper into the pit of despair. And when she finally stopped having periods at all, there must have been almost a a, a relief at being spared this monthly torment. Sarah had probably resigned herself to dying childless and disappointed. And I want to suggest to you that there is is much in their story that that can help teach us how to cope and not cope 
during the season of, of waiting. And specifically, I want to look at three problems that we see them facing in this story today. First of all, the problem of delay. Faith in God despite delay. Secondly, uh, the problem of appearance. Faith in God also despite appearances. And then finally, the problem of weakness. Faith despite the weaknesses of that faith. But let's start with delay. You see, the Bible tells us this story again and again quite often, that, that God makes a promise to an individual or to a group, which, which it takes a while to be fulfilled. It takes a long season of waiting. A delay is involved. Now, we need to learn this. And I think probably we need to be especially careful uh, of not learning it. Again, maybe it's the technological factor, but we, I think, have a, a different perspective on the passing of time. I mean, when you and I even just ask the question, what, what's the time? What's the thing that we look to, to to tell us a time? We look at digits on a screen normally, don't we? That, that's the normal we discover, the time. But ask someone else in a, in a different time, a different world, what's, what, what, what's the time? They will look at a glass filling up with sand. Something is literally filling up. And the idea of passing of time being the filling up of something. Something is being filled. Something is being completed. And in the story we just read, we, we heard that phrase, at, at the appointed time, a couple of times, at the appointed time. Sarah will give birth. In other words, God is purposeful, intentional. He's planning the seasons and the times. He's scheduling deliberately with skill, with, with wisdom. But we, we tend to imagine that, that, that things are far more random than that, than that. It's just sort of arbitrary stuff happening. And maybe there's a God that's kind of involved trying to influence things as, as he can here and there. But no, no, no. The Bible presents the world as under the, the clear and absolute sovereign authority of God. He is the wise timer. The sequencer of all things. And the passing of time is, yes, several times in the Bible it talks about it in terms of fulfillment. Things are filled fulfillment. They're fulfilled. When, when the times have reached their fulfillment. That's the phrase that's often used. And we've got to see it like that. What is, what is being achieved? What is God filling up during the times that we feel that nothing's happening? When we're, when we're just waiting, we need to ask the question, what is God achieving here? Is God achieving anything? I tell you, this book assures us that he's always looking to achieve, even through the delays that can seem so uh, absurd and futile. They're not futile in the mind of God. And learning what it is he's doing will help us. Sometimes it means that we need to allow that work that, that he's trying to achieve over time to be achieved. We need to yield to it. it and it can actually be that, that God is taking so long with something because we are the problem. We are causing the delay. We're, we're causing it by our resistance to his will, and he's waiting for us to die to something. I think that's pretty much the case here. It strikes me that when God says to Abraham at the end of chapter 17 that, that Isaac is going to be born, that there will be a, a child born to Sarah 
his wife. Abraham's response is kind of a mixture of worship. He falls on his face, but he also, you know, laughs. He's kind of incredulous. He's like, God, this this is crazy. You've lost your eternal mind. I am 100 years old. My wife is 90 years old. This doesn't work that way. And then he's like, but even though I think you're crazy, I want to remind you, God, that I've already come up with the plan. And he says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And so this is them trying to fix God's problem. Them trying to say, well, God's made a promise that he clearly can't keep. He, he, or he forgot about it. He, he, he shouldn't have made the promise in the first place. But let's help him out. Let's help him solve the problem. Let's have a baby the wrong way, and it will be the right thing. Listen, when we find ourselves falling into that kind of thinking, when we try and solve God's problems, we try and lend God our expertise and work our wonderful human solutions to his troubles, we're, we're, we're steering into very dangerous territory. And that's what we see in this part of the story. Abraham is clinging. He's still got this kind of faint but distracting hope that is tied up with, with Ishmael. Hey, God, I've got this. You don't have to worry about us having a kid. I handled it 13 years ago, God. Oh, that Ishmaelite might live before you. And God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. For Abraham, it's, 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 it's kind of a death that's, that's got to come to pass. He's, he's got to yield to the reality of, of, uh, that, that, the reality of, uh, of, of what God wants to do, that he wants to do it his way. And listen, this can be a, a, a difficulty for us. It says in Romans chapter 4, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He finally got there, it seems. That, that's what's happening in the story. He's finally hitting the point where, where I'm not the solution. And my attempt, bringing up Ishmael, that's not the solution. God wants to show that he alone will fulfill his purposes. He alone will do this. He doesn't need my fixing. I've had to learn that. I've had to learn that in different ways. I've spent long chunks of my life trying to prove God wrong, really. I've, I've tried to fix things in, in, my, in my plan. I've, I've, I've resisted the thing that God is doing because it didn't really fit with my agenda. And sometimes I, I, I think of times when I've spent hours and hours and hours carefully, diligently putting together and presenting my plans to say uh, how, I, uh, you know, how I think uh, something should happen, how I think something should work out. And, and I've kind of had to wake up, sometimes slowly, sometimes painfully, sometimes almost humiliatingly, to the realization that God doesn't care about my ideas. He, he's, not, he's not really tied to my notion, my Ishmael, my idea of how I think this should all work out. And I've had to just allow things to die. And in the end, though, though that it's been painful, it's been so releasing. Because who, who wants to be harnessed to an Ishmael? Who wants to spend their life yoked to something that was just our idea that God never endorsed? It was not of God. 
And for some of us, we may find ourselves in this kind of, of season, perhaps, and we're, and we're discovering maybe that the, the, the painful, trying, de- delayed work of God, it, it, that God is wanting in that for us to die to some things, die to some things and, 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 and give up trying to make things happen ourselves. And let Him be God. Let Him be sovereign in situations where we... Where, where we need to see, I can't make this happen in my own strength. I've got to yield to, to his timing as he fills time up, as he fulfills his purposes. I think the second thing I want to draw out from here, the second problem, if you like, the first problem being the problem of delay, the second problem being the problem of appearance. And I, I want to talk about Sarah especially, who up until this point has been has had the appearance, certainly, of being kind of, she's kind of background. I mean, Abraham is the one that God's been, he's been speaking to directly again and again. Abraham's been the one that God's made the promises to directly. Now, Sarah's been caught up with it, but kind of as a background figure, it would seem. That, that's the appearance. You could even imagine herself drinking that in a bit, just this notion of herself as kind of, of left in obscurity, just kind of, of this, this, this gray figure in the background. And you know, what I see in this story is God insisting that she's very much in the foreground. The whole Hagar story is kind of an example of how Sarah was kind of thrown aside, even by herself. She thought, well, you sleep with Hagar. She she can have the baby. It's about you, Abraham, isn't it? It's about about you having a baby. Not really accepting that actually, no, the purpose of God was tied up with her. He was watching her. He was concerned for her. His plans for her are great indeed. And and, and though she might have seen herself as kind of a, a spare part in this narrative, God doesn't. God, God, in fact, wants her to have the, the dignity of being addressed and taken into the story fully. He gives her a new name. And although it's interesting to me, I find it a bit peculiar. It, it's kind of the same name. You know, she starts off as, as Sarai and then becomes Sarah. It's like, you know, drum roll, your name shall be. It's basically the same thing. Sarai, Sarah, basically the same thing as far as we can tell. But the point is, I think, the best handle I can get on this is it's basically God saying, her name means princess. And it's definitely God saying, you sure are a princess. I think that's the point. It's, it's like, I really want you to know it, Sarah. Your name is right. You are a princess before me. The, the dignity of it may have surprised and shocked her. She's not understood until this point. I, I wasn't just in the background to God. I was in the foreground all along. He was, he was watching me. And even the way it says at the beginning of, of, of chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had promised. The Lord visited her. And that word visited, it, it's kind of, it kind of conveys the idea used elsewhere in the context of the Lord watching over his people uh, in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, or in other parts of Scripture, this idea of God remembering, remembering his people. Because, you know, because God knows us, right? He knows what we need, what we long for, what we yearn for. And one of the things that we yearn for is just to know that we're on his mind. 
I mean, don't you struggle when you find yourself under a cloud of just sensing that you're not noticed or known by him? You're just kind of out of his peripheral vision. You're kind of off the radar and you're, you're not important. There's Abraham, the mighty man of faith, and there's you somewhere behind. Well, sometimes we see it like that, but when we do, we don't see it accurately because the Lord watches over those who are often the the humble, broken-hearted people on the edges, it would seem. And he sees them as the apple of his eye. And to know, like it says in, in Isaiah chapter 40, why do you complain, O Israel? Why my way is hidden from the Lord? My, my cause is disregarded by my God. That's how often... Um, uh, we, we complain inwardly, I'm sure. I, I'm sure you, you, you know, sometime, know something of that. Yeah, yeah, God doesn't notice me. God doesn't know about me. God doesn't understand. We are so, so wrong. God knows that very sentiment, and he speaks words of affirmation to, to, to contradict it. He wants us to know that he's the God of Israel who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over us attentively. So we see the issue of delay. We see the issue of obscurity when things don't appear the way God sees them. But finally, we see the issue of weakness. And we see this very clearly in in the case of of, of Sarah Sarah in, in chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And so what we've got here is God's, God's showing up on the scene. And we don't know whether this is a theophany, which is God appearing in human form, or if this is a, 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 a Christophany, if this is Jesus. Uh, we don't know, but, but, there, but in some way, this is God in human form appearing before Abraham. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man, to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And what was typical um, is that when a man would be entertaining other men, the wife would kind of stay out of the, uh, stay, you know, uh, kind of in the tent and and out of the way. And so Sarah this whole time is in in the tent. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will certainly, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. So he's eavesdropping. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. In case you didn't know what old meant, um, the way of woman of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Literally in the Hebrew, the cycle of women has ceased to be with Sarah. Now think about this. 24 years before she's in her 60s, God makes a promise you will have land, descendants, and blessing. 
Apparently, she, she had not been through menopause yet, so she thought this is a, this is a possibility. So she and Abraham believed God, and that at that time, it was counted to him as righteousness. They believed God. They tried to have this kid. But over the period of 24 years, she has not been able to have a kid. She hits menopause, and then decades and decades and decades go by. Now, this woman is 90 years old. Her husband is 100. And so this is her reaction. It says, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, I, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And if you have a Bible with you and you have the same translation as me, You'll see there that there's a little footnote with the word hard, and you follow that footnote, and the footnote says wonderful. Is anything too hard? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And the Lord said, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And God said, no, but you did laugh. Why did she laugh? Why did Abraham laugh? Because God promised something to them that the world said, this is impossible. God called them to live in the shadow of a promise in a way that everyone else would look at them and say, that is an absolutely ridiculous way to live. Why would you live like that? And they said, well, come on, our situation is unique. So it appears that, yes, we know that he's made his, this promise, but, but, but let's just take matters into our own hands over. He's made us this promise, but we'll take matters into our own hands over here because our situation is unlike everybody else's. We're really, really old, advanced in years. Let's do this. And I tell you, I hear that all the time, not from 100-year-old people trying to have kids, but I hear people say, oh, our situation is unique. We have to live together before we're married because our situation is unique. We can't be hospitable. Have you seen the size of our house? Our situation is unique. We can't be generous with our finances. Look at how much we make. Our situation is unique. Your situation isn't unique. Neither is your sin. It's the same as theirs. But I'm happy with the way I have it set up. Yeah, so is Abraham. He was pretty proud of his own way of living his life. Well, it seems like God is blessing. Yeah, it may seem like that, but just because things are going well does not mean that God is blessing your sin. But I feel at peace with my decision that I've made. Well, sure you feel peace, but that's a terrible barometer for God's will. A lot of times, you feeling peace just means that your conscience is seared towards your sin. And so Sarah laughs. She is understandably a little ashamed. She's frightened because she knows that what she's actually does is effectively showing some incredulity towards God. 
She realizes this is a visitation of God. He says, why did you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. She's frightened. She's trying to cover her tracks. And when you get seen for your unbelief, when you're cornered and you're aware, I wasn't, this, this is God and I wasn't taking him seriously, it can shake you up. And Sarah, I think, is having that kind of moment. And it can be horribly discomforting because one of the realities we might, we might then face is, have I blown it? I mean, she's not exactly a hero of faith in this. She's laughing at God in disbelief. Is that, is that her story then? Is she done? Her, her, her faith was weak. So she's done, right? That must be it for Sarah. Well, the good news is, as we read to the end of the story, God's willing to work with people whose faith is weak. In fact, God seems to specialize in it. God loves to work with people whose faith is weak, but still real. It's weak, but it's there. And she's actually, in the end, she's honored for her faith. You get places like in Hebrews chapter 11 where it actually describes her, the very person who, who laughs at the beginning of chapter 18. It says this about her, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Isn't that fantastic? The Bible's so honest about our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and weak, weak faith. And yet it commends us. God's word is written over Sarah. She gets into Hebrews 11. That's the list of the heroes of faith. Sarah's one of them. Why do I find that encouraging? And I hope you do too. The reason I find it encouraging is because I'm more aware of being like Sarah than I am of being like Abraham. I, I, don't, I don't relate to Abraham, the great mighty man of faith, that much. Some of you, maybe you've grown up around people uh, with more faith than you, or you've spent time with people of great faith. You rub shoulders with men and women of faith, and it can make you feel, uh, you know, make you feel a little bit like Sarah might have felt. Well, I can't, I, I can't keep up with Abraham. He's the man of faith. And I love the fact that God intentionally draws faith out of her. He intentionally helps, us, helps her to see, no, you've got your own trust in me as well. You've got your own relationship with me as well. Sarah, it's not just your husband. I want you to know me too. I want you to learn to trust me too. And actually, in the end, that's kind of our whole story, isn't it? Because all of us, including Abraham in the end... Uh, I mean, we've all got our, our moments of, of weakness. Even Abraham, you know, we know if, you, if you know the story, yeah, he wasn't always mighty in faith. He has his weak moment. And we, all of us, we, we lean on our husband, if you like, right? I mean, Sarah's leaning on her husband's faith for much of the, the story I find myself leaning on Jesus, my bridegroom. We lean on his faith. We, we lean on his faithfulness. We lean on his stable constancy, his ability always to, to trust implicitly, constantly in the words of his Father. And when I find myself, my, myself wavering, for instance, I just think about, I was just thinking about the last 
couple of years as a, as a church. I mean, many churches have had to stop and think, have we done everything right? Did we, you know, handle this crisis right? Did we get it all right? Often questioning ourselves, have we been overcautious? Should we have done this? Should we have done that? It, it's very easy if you, if you go down that route to, to do it too much and you start wondering, have I, have I failed? Have, I, have we failed as a church? Have we, have we been faithful? Have we been faithful? Well, I hope we have been faithful, but you know, in the end, I can't, that can't be where I place my confidence. I can't rest. I can't sleep at night if it's all about whether I or, and this church have been faithful enough. I'm so glad I get to put my head on someone else's chest. I get to say, Jesus, you're faithful. You'll carry us through. You carried Sarah through in her weakness. Yeah, she was weak. She laughed. She thought it was silly. She mocked the promises of God. And yet God says, woman of faith. God is so kind. He endorses us with brand new names. He, he lifts us up, gives us dignity. God gives meaning to the long seasons of delay that we experience. And, he, and in his purpose and his plan, he comes in and does things that no one could have done. And he says at the end of it, you're a hero of faith. Well done. He still insists on dignifying us with identity. Perhaps this morning you're, you're waiting for unfulfilled hopes and promises to be fulfilled in your life. And, and perhaps they seem slow in coming true as, as, as those God made to Abraham and Sarah. Perhaps you can even identify with Sarah's disillusionment and, and cynicism. If so, this passage extends great hope to you. Sarah had grown cynical, but she hadn't stepped outside of God's grace. She'd grown lazy in her faith that God's promises were true. But she hadn't disqualified herself from receiving what he promised. And the writer to the Hebrews, he tells us that we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. In other words, faith is good, but faith with patience is even better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this.